Welcome to Lay of the Brand, where we talk with the experts on tech marketing, creative, and PR to learn what's new, what's working, and what's next. I'm Peter Jacobs with Merit Group. On this edition of Lay of the Brand, we're looking forward to uncover what we can expect in the year ahead for marketing and PR. A lot has changed in the last 25 years since Merit Group was founded, but some things are evergreen. And for marketers and PR pros, jumping on a trend may not always be the way to go. So what's still working in marketing and PR? And how can we prepare for more changes, big and small? To find out, we're talking with Elisa White, CEO of Merit Group, who's been here since the beginning 25 years ago. We're also joined by Tanya Klaus, Marketing and Communications Director at Microsoft Federal. Thank you both for being here. Thank you, Peter. Over the past 25 years, we've seen two major recessions, huge technology advances, and historically significant events, including the global pandemic. So with all that upheaval in mind, what hasn't changed when it comes to marketing and PR? Tanya? Customer first is a lesson that we learn over and over again. And particularly in our case with marketing to the government, that has to stay front and center for us in messaging, in our events, in any of our storytelling. So I think that has become even more acute over the last couple of years in terms of how do we keep that front and center when we aren't in person or any number of scenarios. I'd say that always top of the list. Just to piggyback on what Tanya said, I think a lot of it's around having the right message. That's as important as ever um, over the last 25 years and really just making sure that it's grounded in the right industry context and competitor environment. And along those same lines, we're still seeing the importance of competitor analysis and making sure the message is grounded in the competitive landscape. And that's something too, from a messaging perspective and a competitor perspective, something that should really be refreshed probably every six months or so. That's a really good point. There's been a really good pivot to industry centricity. I think we've seen that a lot, whether it's government commercial on the Microsoft side and heavy investment in industry to just bring out richer, more contextual stories, scenarios, and messaging to your point. Absolutely. And I know, Tanya, this is something you talk about a lot as well, is just the importance of the narrative and the storytelling. And, you know, it can't always be just about the product, but, you know, what's the the broader landscape and the environment that it's in? I was at a industry event, probably kind of a year wrap up a couple of weeks ago, and it was posted by a reporter who happens to be in the government space. And the panelists he had, he made a point to note that, you know, this person that I talked to and have known for years always brings me good stories, always brings me something that I can work with, knows who my readers are, understands my audience, isn't sending me as good as and important as sometimes product press releases may be isn't just sending me product pitches left and right, but knows what my audience is interested in. So it was such a compliment to the person he was referencing, but it was a good reminder too, to know what your reporters are writing before you send them junk. And it's not just a blast note, but kind of goes to the value of relationships at the core of so much of our work as well and building those trusted relationships on the communication side where you know that it matters to build those over the long term 
they know what you're interested in, you know what they're interested in, and it really develops that way. Yeah. And I would totally agree. You know, the importance of relationships, particularly on the PR side with the press, and even as that media landscape has evolved too over the last 25 years, the traditional reporters, but now there's key influencers to keep in mind too, and even freelancers. So how does that landscape change? And But I think at the core, at the crux of it is just the the value of those relationships and keeping them going and building them from the start. It's a good point. It's not easy to keep track of everyone. People in the industry move a lot, not everyone, but there are a lot of freelancers that we get to work with. There's a lot more consolidation in the media landscape. So yeah, navigating that can be a part-time job sometimes too. Yes, exactly. Well, let's flip it around now. What big changes have impacted brands and markets in ways that will shape how we do things for years to come? And I'd like to talk about that in the context of how it might be different for an in-house marketing team versus an agency. Elisa, from the agency side, what big changes have happened? I would say most recently with the pandemic, we saw a lot of change in how you market particularly in the last couple of years, and a shift towards more digital channels just because people couldn't meet in person. And I think what happened because of that, it really accelerated sort of this digital transformation and the way that marketers move forward. So that's been a huge trend, certainly more recently, and just, I think, moved folks along a lot faster in that direction, uh, which is really interesting. The other thing I would add to that is just we've seen over the last 25 years just greater alignment between both sales and marketing. And particularly probably in the last 10 years, I remember the days where marketing rarely talked to sales and it was just, you know, that's how it worked. And then now more than ever, there's more integration. We regularly meet with the sales teams as a marketer. So I think that will continue. And I think that's a good thing. There's still more work to be done, but we're certainly on a good path. Tanya, from an in-house perspective, you run a major team at Microsoft. What have you seen that has changed for you in a positive way or a negative way? I agree with Elisa on the move to digital. People's attention spans have contracted, I'd say, a little bit, uh, particularly around digital. So if you think about events, we haven't fully moved to only digital. I think there's been a lot of good feedback on digital halls and digital events that in some ways has been good. We've developed digital events for our own internal audiences in a way that has made them super compelling now. And from an internal communications perspective, we send multiple thousands to a big city in the summer for kind of a yearly kickoff, probably in the of the pandemic, everything switched to all digital. Now we're really able to do these advanced hybrid events where instead of 10,000 people in one place, maybe we move the event to different cities over the course of two or three days. And we have a crowd of 500 and we bring people in virtually, you know, we're starting to these Star Wars come to life with holograms and like ways to bring people together that are super interesting and compelling where you're still with your team and your people and meeting new people, but you're getting to hear from the people who are, in our case, based in Redmond. And so we've been able to really build out the digital event. So it's hybrid and it's in person and together so that it kind of brings the best of both worlds and create the content that is 
tight enough that, you know, you're not going to lose your audience. You do it in chunks. You really refine the storytelling and so on. So I think this is still evolving in the industry. Obviously, big events have come back in a new way. There's a lot of debate, I'd say, internally with our teams around where we invest our money. Do we still continue to invest in big events and big booth build outs? The jury's still out on that. I don't think it's ever going to be completely all one or the other or all or nothing, but we're really looking at getting creative at the hybrid model and people are still loving being back in person. So those events, I don't think should be taken for granted. And it kind of goes to the point of relationships too, and things that happen in the room where it happens, so to speak, that are really valuable. Things are being right-sized now as a result of some of our innovation that we've seen. And I was just going to add to that, too. I think it's which are the right channels, to your point, Tanya. Is it events? Is it not? What channels make the most sense? And I think those are absolutely conversations that a lot of customers and clients are having right now. One other area, too, that I wanted to mention is we've seen a lot of growth in paid, but on a smaller scale. And I know this is even an area that we work with Microsoft on and with you on. 25 years ago, even 10 years ago, used to be these massive paid advertising budgets of millions of dollars. But now you can have quite an impact just with a smaller scale budget, like almost a micro paid budget of like $300,000. So we're seeing a lot of B2B tech companies looking to invest in these smaller, very focused, targeted campaigns on the paid side, which I think is really interesting also. Yeah. And I love it where it, it's where marketing and PR comes together. I always actually used to use this as a justification for why PR was better than marketing, because we would want to have editorial content that looked like organic editorial, but yet it was paid. And what better justification for the need and value of PR than editorial and the value that influencers and customers and readers place on it? But it's, it's never one or the other. That kind of mix, to your point, and some of the paid advertising that we've done around really strong content has performed really well with the Washington Post, with some of our defense publications, really across the board and putting together compelling content that is a bit of a mix and getting creative in those ad buys. To your point, I agree wholly. One of the other things I wanted to mention, too, is I think there's this shift towards humanizing the brand a bit more. And I don't know if that's largely in the last couple of years or just more in general, that's been the trend. And how do you build trust and have more of this personality of the brand shine through from an authenticity perspective? That's really, really important and something that we've seen as, as a trend, too, over these last few years. Right. That's something that we're seeing a lot more of where because there's more emphasis on customer experience, the brands also need to recognize that they stand for more than just their products and services. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, sustainability, doing right by society. How does that impact the decisions you make about where and how you market? That's a really good point. In the government space, we've been talking a lot about mission marketing, and there's some overlap with quite a fair amount probably with 
her work on solving mission challenges, the federal government, gosh, from civilian to DOD and civilian alone, it's so many industries packed into one and sustainability and healthcare and financial services, customer experience is such a big mission on so many levels for the government. But so many of those have kind of intersection and overlap with policy priorities, whether they're around security or around sustainability or, you know, any of these things that we see being prioritized on the policy side, we have a heavy emphasis on mission marketing and that intersecting with a lot of those areas. We're in the process of building out our digital transformation showcase. And it's really all about customer experience. Like what does the new world of work look like? You know, what about everything from supply chain to security and solving customer challenges, which is a huge mission of government, again, on so many different levels. So that's a starting place for us so often in terms of how we think about marketing, which I can't speak for other companies. It's been a challenge and it still kind of flips on its head the way we used to and and are used to going to market as a tech company. We've always been a like a platform and product company. So it's been a growth area for us and we're not perfect at it. We don't get it right all the time. That's really where we start from now is that customer perspective and solving those big challenges, some of which are global on our customer scale and also down to the individual customer level, I'd say. Well, you have so much data now and tools for using that data. You also have automation tools that can speed up and give you multiple avenues to make use of that information. Is this a good or a bad thing? And how do marketers take advantage of this in a positive way? Elisa? We've definitely seen this evolution towards technology-based marketing and marketing automation and companies and brands embracing it. I think there's still more work to be done and there's still some gaps in sort of the whole journey and the whole life cycle. But I think a lot of companies are making really good progress. The ultimate goal is just to have that whole feedback loop where you can get data all around the, the cycle. Certainly from a measurement perspective, I think that enables a lot more personalization too, which is a big trend right now. Certainly big in consumer, but also I think it, it's relevant in B2B as well because you don't want to just blanket everybody, every buyer or prospect with the same content, but how can you give them, like as we were talking about experiences, more personalized experiences. So it's, it's definitely still a work in progress, but seeing some really, really good progress behind the scenes, working with a lot of tech brands on their journeys and their, their move to more marketing automation. I think we have a long way to go on the B2G side. That's not a bad thing. I just think it's room for for evolution and development. We have nurture streams and are working on a lot of the customization pieces. All of it has to be done within context of privacy and, you know, honoring all of the compliance perspectives and so on. So I'd say it's a little tougher for us than just a pure play B to C play, so to speak. But there's a lot of innovation, I think, left to be had, at least as I see it and and the way we're evolving our tools and can kind of go through all those check boxes of compliance and so on. There's a ton of opportunity. I wish we were farther than we are as an industry, but we'll get there. Speaking of experiences, and this ties back to what you'd said earlier, Tanya, about the digital gatherings that you're seeing taking hold. 
the metaverse AR and VR could completely change the meaning of experiential marketing. So is this something that marketers should be focusing on now? We should, for sure. We've been telling stories around VR and so on, and we've got some really interesting ones coming out. This is more of a customer scenario in terms of VR and all of the opportunity for solving problems with virtual reality. And we obviously have HoloLens on the on the Microsoft side, but seeing how scenarios for uses of that come to light for OSHA, for the military, for weather scenarios, in healthcare scenarios, it's just amazing. I don't think we've figured out how to market into the metaverse yet. I maybe should just speak for myself. I think we're going there. Maybe this makes me a Luddite. I don't know. Like, I'm a little bit skeptical because I remember Second Life and how that was going to be like this new thing. What was it? Maybe 10 years ago. And we're going to have to be marketing in there. Not that we're in the same place now as we were then, but I think whoever can crack the code, great. I don't think the world is living in the metaverse yet, but it's fascinating to see how, particularly on the consumer side, how people are experimenting, and that'll be really just fun to watch as that evolves. Elisa, what are you seeing, especially from a, a B2B perspective? Just to add to what Tanya said, too, I think the traction we're seeing is primarily on the B2C side, the consumer side. You know, some of the, the big consumer brands or luxury brands have really started to invest in this space. But to Tanya's point as well, like I think on the enterprise side, the B2B side, it's still more tentative, I would say. Folks are starting to experiment a little bit more. I think some of the use cases for it could be, and what we're starting to see is events. I know that was something Tanya talked about earlier too. Certainly even product demos. I've, I've heard some companies thinking about the metaverse there, and it goes back again to like, how can you create a, a more interesting product demo, make it more experiential? So that's another area, but it's still very much emerging, I would say. And then I think the other area would also be for B2B would be around training. I've heard that that's something, and I think Accenture has been doing a bit in that area, training their workforce and new hires that come on board. So I think there's so many different use cases, but it's more of a experimental position that B2B companies are taking, and rightfully so, just to, to see what it could do or what's possible. And I know even Microsoft, certainly, and Meta, Enterprise Metaverse, they're trying to figure it out. So it's definitely coming. Such a good point on the training piece. There are so many opportunities there from a scenario-based perspective. The sky is the limit. I think you bring up a really good point there. I think the challenge in the B2B and B2G space is particularly right now when we're in a tighter economic climate where we are scrubbing and analyzing every bit of spend and working to you know maximize that for impact that makes some of the experience experimental i should say initiatives a little bit tougher to justify so to speak we should be planning for that for like, can we get past the next six months? And what does the year ahead look like? And how can we be thinking about that world? But that's a really good point, just given the economic times we're in and sort of when's the right time. And from a practicality perspective, just having the budgets to do that, I think is a challenge. Yeah, it's going to be continually fun to watch what happens from a B2C perspective and let some companies fail that and take learnings and kind of see what emerges as the early trends. And with that, it's time for some predictions. 
the economy is obviously right now a huge driver of what B2B and B2G organizations are going to be able to do. So where are things headed for marketers and PR pros? And what should they be taking action on in the year ahead? Tanya? When you said data is going to continue to be essentially important, I think really investing in our analytics tools to further refine what's working. Not that we can't do some experimentation. I think we should in our market, but data is going to be key. We're really doubling down on our storytelling efforts and and working to put those into market from an in-person, experiential, and digital perspective. And I don't see that changing for us on the government side at all. I think we've had to refine a little bit how many things we can prioritize from a content and theme and campaign perspective. Really knowing your priorities is so important from a marketing and PR perspective because we just can't boil the ocean right now. So in some ways, these downturns help us really refine what we need to prioritize from a business perspective and then follow the business priorities with our marketing and PR. So I think prioritization is going to be important. It's always important, but in the next six months, relying on our our data and improving that handshake between marketing and sales, so to speak, we've got so much opportunity to build from a capabilities perspective. That's kind of another huge place that we're going to be looking And I would add, too, I think that the focus has been over the last couple of years on lead gen and how do we generate new leads, new prospects. But I think in 2023, just given the economy, um, there will be more of a focus on customer retention, too. And we can't forget about customer retention. So marketing programs that can help inform the customer experience, make it better, help retain customers uh, in these economic times like that is a very important shift and I think something that marketers should be thinking about as we head into 2023. And then the other area I was going to mention is just the age of the B2B tech buyer is trending to be younger. And so we have to think as marketers, how do we market to that buyer and that demographic who might like information in a different way or in more of a B2C way? So I think that's going to start to change how we think about marketing to the right personas, the right demographic, the age group, and, and probably change some of those practices. I love that. That's such a good point. It's a good reminder. I think your retention point is very aligned with my nurture and like we've got a ton of leads, right? Like what are we doing with them and how are we using the data to better understand who they are and how they're buying? And again, tee that up in compelling ways with our sales colleagues. So there's just a lot of maturity there that we can build. So I I like what you said about retention. Yeah. And I think too, a lot of companies are looking at, you know, we have all these existing customers and how can we grow them organically too, and maybe cross sell or sell them more services. So I think there's a laser focus on that also. I've been talking with Elisa White, CEO of Merit Group and Tanya Klaus, Marketing and Communications Director at Microsoft Federal. Thank you both for being here. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Lay of the Brand is brought to you by Merit Group, an integrated strategic communications firm that blends the best of PR, marketing, and creative to help our clients tell their stories and build business. Got a topic suggestion or want to share feedback? Subscribe to Lay of the Brand on your preferred listening platform and leave us a review. And please spread the word and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in as well. To learn more about Merit Group and the show, check out layofthebrand.com.